Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. Again to Gamble On, the weekly gambling podcast presented by usbets.com. I'm Eric Raskin, U.S. Bets Managing Editor and Media Director, and I'm joined by our Senior Analyst, Pulitzer Prize Finalist, John Brennan. And I have bad news. The offshore sports books have taken down their lines on the games of Pong between Raskin and Brennan because the games were pre-recorded and the results have leaked. Uh, <laughs> that is, of course, a reference to what happened with NBA 2K betting markets. And my attitude is, if you're offering betting on recorded competitions and you get burned, I won't shed a tear for you. Do you feel the same way, John? Uh, I'm sorry, Eric. I was distracted. I'm lining up my FanDuel Masters 2020 fantasy golf team. Um, (laughs) I missed that. I've got – I think my roster's – the salary cap roster's set now. I've got Jack Nicholas, John Rahm, Bobby Jones, Lee Trevino – Paul Casey and Judge Smells, the Ted Knight character <laughs> from Caddyshack. Uh, you know, that's an honor of me being a caddy myself at the time the movie came out. Uh, wait, I, th- I think your question was about NBA 2K. I heard that part. Um, yeah, I mean, there's a reason why state regulators don't allow their citizens to legally wager on pre-recorded programs, and this is, this makes it a little bit obvious. Uh, I'm reminded of the biblical phrase, uh, "A fool and his money are soon parted." There you go. Yeah. Uh, and I, I, look, I'm not going to tell the state gambling commissions how to do their jobs, but it is my feeling that betting on anything that has already happened should not be allowed. And, and that includes Emmys and Oscars, or at least my feeling is if you're going to offer it, cut the betting off at when the voting ends, you know, a week or so before the broadcast, something like that. And I know that'll kill the amount of action, but when you offer markets on events whose results are known by someone, you're, you're just begging for trouble. Um, and, you know, our, our friends over at, uh, at Roto Grinders uh, have been podcasting about FanDuel's free to enter Survivor Fantasy contest for the last few weeks. Mm-hmm. And one of the guys on that podcast has been reading the Reddit threads and uh, noting who was rumored to be voted out each week. And each week, those Reddit threads were right. Um, but uh, by the way, I, I won a nickel in last night's free-to-play okay, Survivor enough. Fantasy enough. Contest. So beers are on me when this COVID-19 thing is uh, over. I can't swim in those deep waters here. <laughs> 
<laughs> hey, for a zero for a zero uh, dollar entry fee, a five cent uh, a five cent win is a good thing, I guess. Right, that's a win. Uh, yeah. yeah. All right. Thank you to everyone for joining us for episode number eighty six of Gamble On. If you missed any of our previous eighty five episodes, they're all available on SoundCloud, iTunes, Apple Podcasts, and Spotify. Please subscribe, rate, and give us a five star review. You know, before the pandemic, four star reviews were acceptable, but but during a pandemic, you have to click five stars. That's the rule. Oh, that's a good rule. I like that. Um, and coming up a little later in the show, we're going to be joined by three-time World Series of Poker bracelet winner Dutch Boyd, uh, who was living and working in Las Vegas when the casinos began shutting down. And he'll talk to us about his experience there and the prospects for the 2020 World Series of Poker. Is it going to happen? Uh, but first, it's been a modestly busy news week in the world of gambling. So let's get to it. Here's your Gamble On News of the Week, an inside look at the biggest stories in the world of gambling. One of the strangest sports betting industry stories of the year unfolded over the course of less than an hour on Tuesday night after FanDuel sent out a release announcing that FanDuel Sportsbook was offering political betting exclusively in West Virginia. FanDuel said the West Virginia lottery approved betting on the November presidential election, so markets were posted on Trump versus Biden, who the Democratic VP pick will be, which party will win the popular vote, and more. That release went out at 7.36 p.m. Eastern Time. Before 8.30, the political betting markets had been removed. West Virginia Secretary of State Mac Warner told WV Metro News that election betting is not legal in West Virginia and, quote, somebody jumped the gun. FanDuel then tried to clarify things with the statement, while the markets were approved, the West Virginia Lottery has asked FanDuel to refrain from offering the markets until they have time to fully work through the implications of this new market offering. Uh, it would appear that the law would need to change in order to make election betting legal in West Virginia, as one line in the West Virginia Code reads, it shall be unlawful to bet or wager money or other things of value on any election held in this state. I was trying to guess as to what happened and whether maybe FanDuel knowingly skirted the rules just to get some attention and press, knowing all along that they'd be taking the odds down quickly. Uh, but then lottery director John Myers put out a statement taking the blame for authorizing election betting, saying, quote, I don't have the authority to do it. It shouldn't have happened. And I apologize to everyone. So, John, what do you make of this momentary madness? And is there any realistic chance some state will have legal sportsbook election betting in 2020? Yeah, I mean, I called bull spit. Uh, do we have censors? I'm not sure. <laughs> spit is yeah. definitely fine. Yeah. Okay. Uh, I, on this, the minute I saw it, uh, it was noted on one of our Slack chains. And that's mm -hmm. right, kids, I am a slacker. Um, <laughs> I, I couldn't believe that West Virginia or any U.S. state has a gambling law that allows for wagering on elections. I just don't. Uh, even if they did, I can't imagine a state going forward with it anyway, even if there was a loophole. Uh, it, look, this is all the rage in the United Kingdom, Ireland, and elsewhere. And, you know, I once mentioned the odds being set over there for betting on the 2012 U.S. presidential election a year in advance. And those legal markets were getting serious action over there. Um, so it's one thing whether people should do it or not do it. But uh, for better or worse, Americans are not going for it. Uh, if I got a legal line on that remaining the case five years from now, I'd still take it and say not happening. Hmm. Okay. I, I'm not sure I agree with your five years from now projection. I mean, certainly as it pertains to this year, these sports books are desperate for action. I get that. And the longer the sports drought drags on, uh, and we will be discussing that timeline uh, in a few minutes, but the longer this drags on, the more states will at least look into whether they can find a loophole and offer election betting. But, uh, but I'm with you that I, I, I don't think it's happening in 2020. 
I do kind of lean toward uh, what our guest a few weeks ago, Paul Krishnamurti, said uh, about saying he doesn't think it'll happen in 2020, but he thought it was more likely than not to be legal by 2024. Mm -hmm. I I could certainly see that scenario. Um, And by the way, West Virginia Governor Jim Justice came out on Wednesday and called election betting, quote, ridiculous. And he's involved in the gaming industry as a casino owner in West Virginia, so he probably holds some sway here. If he's opposed to election betting, Sorry, FanDuel, but I'm pretty sure it isn't happening in West Virginia this year, which is good by me. The the last thing anyone needs is to have more at stake than they already do in this uh, year's election. Yeah, exactly. It's just not it's just not it, it's certainly not a good year to be doing it. Right. <laughs> All right. uh, Moving on. We haven't had much opportunity to talk sports in the last few weeks, uh, but we're going to do our best to do so now since there was a lot of news this week in terms of various sports leagues scheduling events or talking publicly about how they might schedule events. Here are some that stood out. In golf, the plan is for the PGA Tour to start in mid-June at Memorial with no fans, and they're talking about the PGA Championship in August, U.S. Open and Ryder Cup in September, and Masters in November with the Open Championship, a.k.a. the British Open, canceled for 2020. The first big sports betting event on the calendar will apparently be UFC 249 on April 18th at an undisclosed location with Dana White insisting it will go ahead with a new main event and then saying UFC will stage weekly fight cards at a private island going forward. Uh, The NBA, they don't have any dates in mind that they've stated publicly for a restart of the season yet. But they are talking about a televised horse competition between NBA stars in separate locations. And then there's MLB, which floated a plan this week to sequester every single team in Arizona and start the season in May. But that idea, while exciting to baseball fans, was not exactly met with universal acclaim. There's a lot to analyze here, John. I have thoughts on all of it, but uh, I'll let you go first. Uh, Comment on whichever sports you like and uh, let me know how realistic these plans sound to you. Yeah, there's a lot here. Um, I have to start with golf since I think in the last couple of podcasts I haven't mentioned that five-week PGA Tour winning streak of picks I have here. So um, that's number one. Um, uh, You know, my own golfing heroics as a high school varsity golfer in 1979 probably aren't relevant, uh, particularly since I was an alternate for all but one match, which I lost. So, um, Mm -hmm. yeah. But, however, I have covered a couple dozen tour events over the last three decades. So I can illuminate a little bit for those who have never attended an event or who don't closely follow the tour. How is this possible uh, to be back in June? Um, A problem on the surface would seem to be the fact that uh, so many of their most famous golfers are from other countries, right? Rory McIlroy, Northern Ireland, Adam Scott and Jason Day, Australia. Let's see, Tommy Fleetwood and Justin Rose of England, Hendrik Stenson of Sweden, and on and on. Um, But the good news is that many of them actually live in uh, Jupiter, Florida, or or right nearby, and there's a few scattered in Arizona. So while a June event might have a a 100% top field, because not every foreign player on the tour lives here, you know, year-round, but it's close enough. Now, the Open Championship, which was the British Open before some sort of deal was reached by the Royal and Ancient Whatevers across the pond and American broadcasters some years back. Um, they have no such luxury. Uh, you know, very uh, relatively few of their top players uh, actually live there. And so travel being a question, I think it was really wise for them to just surrender and, and live to fight another year. Yeah. Um, I don't, maybe, maybe the best way to do this is for, for us to kind of go sport by sport and me, me respond to your golf comments before you move on to, uh, to the next one. So, uh, yeah, I mean, just looking, I hadn't even thought about all the traveling of the foreign players. That is a concern, but like you said, a, a, a tournament with most of the field 
but not all of the field is is still something that could feasibly go forward. Uh, and and golf is absolutely a sport that you'd think should be able to return other than others. I think, you know, barring outbreaks in the specific areas where the tournaments are scheduled at those specific times, I think that most of these tournaments will indeed happen on these new dates. You know, with golf, for one thing, you'll miss the roar of the crowd less than you would for most sports. Mm. Um, you'll miss it a little when the big putt goes in or the but it's it's uh, certainly a sport where they try to keep the crowd quiet a lot of the times anyway. Um, the participants never really have to come near each other golfers and their caddies will have to adjust behaviors a bit but it seems entirely doable to play a golf tournament without health risk as long as there are no fans Uh, yeah and and then we'll just have to wait and see when it's safe to start playing in front of fans again right and to be more specific a friend of mine who lives in a state that hasn't uh, shut down yet uh just played around a golf couple days ago and for people thinking well there's got to be a catch right i mean first off they only have one person per cart now instead of two um they wash down the carts even before you you take off um they put covers on the golf ball washers that you tend to find at every take so you can't be touching those and of course you can't touch the flag stick which seems like the biggest problem but um, they just have a cover over the hole so if your putt hits the flag stick that counts as in and you move on it's close enough you know um so other than that the nature of the game is such that you know, even in a foursome no one's tee shot tends to ever land within six feet of someone else's ball and even if right. it did you'd want to steer clear of their backs from me anyway so <laughs> right. six feet's easy and so short of you know not getting to shake hands on the first tee or the 18th green uh you know it can work maybe but um yeah so second one i'll talk about i'll try a ufc here um you know the nature of the sport um full disclosure it strikes me as pretty barbaric and has erased the phrase never kick a man while he's down uh, from the language but um <laughs> that so the nature of the sport makes me a little uneasy about safety but we're talking about two people who are in such close contact and, and, a, and a reference of three i guess right um so to be fair that might be workable yeah, you know, the the whole the way that they're talking about rolling it out is is, is weird. And from my, what I know about Dana White, this is all very Dana White uh, to be pushing ahead with this. Um, I've obviously been paying close attention to and podcasting about boxing's potential to return and the risks in boxing and MMA are basically identical. Both should be easier to pull off than team sports for the reason you mentioned, because of the number of people involved. But you need medical personnel and an ambulance available. Actually, two ambulances at every fight. That's the rule. And that's going to be tricky, convincing people that this is a good use of medical personnel right now. Um, But Dana White seems determined to get this one card off, at least. Uh, And, of course, online sports books could use it, and a lot of sports fans want it. I think it's going to happen, though there will be some outspoken opposition to it. But then, you know, can they keep fights going weekly on a private island? I I don't know. This is some dystopian running man stuff almost. But (laughs) a lot of things are dystopian these days. And yeah, and yeah, it it. It seems incredibly practical when you listen to this MLB trial balloon. <laughs> the right. leagues are supposed to open with – they'll probably start with 30-man rosters. That's 900 players. Then dozens of managers and umpires, more dozens of coaches, TV technical people. You're talking about way over 1,000 people in this biodome. You know? <laughs> um, plus, it has some of the issues that other sports do. Uh, you know, Very few of the players live in Arizona. How are they going to get there? I don't know. A lot of players are living in the Northeast in the offseason or, or Florida for that matter. Um are, are they going to be able to get there? And I mean, these guys are not in the mood to be driving cross country. And, you know, considering uh, their athleticism, they don't need a, a sore back or something when they get there. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm, I'm with you. The M, the MLB thing uh, seems far fetched. I don't think it's going to happen. Yes, we need baseball. We, we do. We need sports and something approaching normalcy. I fully appreciate and support the effort to think of a way to make it happen. But uh, the, the main thing that struck me is talking about 
separating these players from their families for four and a half months sequestered away. You know, if if I have a spouse and or kids, I have to at least have the option to sequester with them. Um, mm. So I may, and maybe that's part of what they're considering, bringing the full families in. But then you're talking about even more people to, to test and, and keep in this village. So, yeah, I just don't think this is the answer. It seems like a pipe dream, uh, you know, to have this full families it's basically like a lockdown city for a while that is a strange version of america although it's not that different from where we are and where we're headed so i don't know you obviously need a lot of testing uh which the country is still playing catch up on we dug a a nice big hole there before the outbreak really got moving and you know if one player or ump or whoever tests positive then the whole thing shuts down again it just seems like there are a lot of things that can go wrong and and foil this plan I, i i want baseball but I suspect the team sports will all have to wait until midsummer. You know, if if Donald Trump, who who wanted everything open on Easter, uh, is more recently calling commissioners and uh, acknowledging, hey, let's shoot for July, then it's pretty clear that anything before July is unlikely. Yeah, that's probably true. And the last one we have on that list is the horse competition. Uh, you know, I think a few people, maybe you do, uh, remember that NBA All-Star Weekend had a horse about 10 years ago mm-hmm. for a couple of years. Um, but I think it had the same massive flaw that the slam dunk contest and home run derby have been struggling to overcome over the years. And boredom, it just drags on too long. Um, but I remember the late 1970s, the NBA Game of the Week, they had like a tape program at halftime each week of a one-on-one horse game. You know, it's not bad as halftime fodder. And, mm. you know, P- Pistol Pete Maravich vanity to the finals was sweet. I mean, about the most exciting player in the league. But then he got hurt, so they had a sub in Rick Barry. You know, he's a mega scorer. He's the uh, the guy with the incredibly accurate underhanded foul shooting. And uh, I think he spawned an entire NBA starting lineup of offspring, which is pretty good. Uh, that all made the NBA. Um, <laughs> right. But instead, Paul Westfall won, and he was a great player, an all-star. Uh, he's kind of bland, and that was a bit of an anticlimax. But, uh, yeah, they can certainly do this. Yeah, it's one of those things that seems like a great idea on paper and that uh, in this in these times, I guess it makes a lot of sense. You know, sports books and sports bettors will certainly love it. Uh, hopefully they televise it live, uh, not on a delay. Um, you know, n- nobody can really get hurt or infected. There's really no downside uh, except what you pointed out. We're all going to remember very quickly how boring horse is as a televised competition, <laughs> unless you have money on it. Uh, you know, I, I think that will make keep people tuning in. If you don't bet on it, it seems like there's really no way anyone's going to stay tuned in for more than a few minutes. No, it's it's either the shots are too easy and everybody's making them all the time. And then they try difficult. I mean, I used to play as a kid. You probably did, too. You, you know how it is. You yep. start trying the hardest shot and everybody misses every shot. It's, <laughs> it's the it's it's begging to be edited. Basically, it's begging to be pre-recorded and then put together so you can either have an entertaining somewhat entertaining game of horse, but then you can't have the betting as for the reasons you know, um, or you can do it live and then you can have the betting. But it's so boring. So right. there's no there's no in between, I guess. There's a slight chance it could be good if it's Steph Curry versus Trey Young, and they're both like shooting from half court and actually making it with some consistency. Uh, but yeah, for most of these players, uh, it's exactly what you said: either either tough shots that miss or boring easy shots that go in. Exactly. (laughs) All right. uh, Let's move on to our final story. Whether or not we have a baseball season, uh, MLB chalked up a a minor win on Friday when a federal judge dismissed a class action suit brought by baseball fans and DFS players against MLB and its partners for fraud as it pertains to the sign stealing scandal involving the Houston Astros and to a lesser degree, the Boston Red Sox. The ruling was made by, as John pointed out in his U.S. Bets article, an unabashed Yankees fan, uh, Judge Jed 
Ed Rakoff of the Southern District of New York, who, after talking about Frank Sinatra and Grace Kelly and Jimmy Stewart and Catherine Hepburn, <laughs> eventually got around to saying there's no legal case against MLB for allegedly concealing the cheating. And if I can read between the lines a little and insert my own analysis, it seems the conclusion is that no DFS players had knowledge about sign stealing. So it was still a level playing field, even if some gamblers got unlucky and, and others got lucky. What's your take, John? Was this class action suit as frivolous and easily written off as Judge Rakoff makes it sound? Uh, well, first off, this was no exception. Every gambling lawsuit I ever seem to, you know, review, and there's a lot of them, um, the judges can't resist coming up with these uh, these offbeat uh, <laughs> items. Like, I guess so many of their cases are so arcane that they finally get something that's kind of cool. It's interesting, you know? I mean, whether the points of law fit or not, it's definitely interesting, and so they can't resist uh, uh, hamming it up a little bit. Um, now, Rakoff said the connection between the alleged harm the plaintiff suffered and defendant's conduct is simply too attenuated to support any of the plaintiff's Claim for relief. Um, I think that means what I've long thought about covering, you know, hundreds of these cases over the years. Uh, the lawsuit does seem frivolous, and then a legal argument has to be crafted by a judge to produce that result. Um, but I'm not a lawyer, and I barely know what attenuated means. So there you have it. <laughs> I, I'm certainly glad that this was dismissed quickly. I I just don't think I'm not a lawyer either, but uh, I, and uh, I also barely know attenuated. But uh, um, I I don't think fans and gamblers have a leg to stand on legally here. They can be pissed at the Astros and the Red Sox and MLB and and not trust them going forward. But they weren't really wronged. You know, I think like players on the Dodgers, they can feel wronged and ripped off. You Darvish can feel ripped off. But DFS players, there's just no reasonable way to calculate how the Astros cheating affected your DFS results. And, And if you're suing... Did you never benefit from rostering Jose Altuve or whoever? It was a ridiculous suit. I'm, I'm glad the judge ruled the way he did. Yeah, I guess you should have ruled that the people who won money based on the Astros have to surrender their money over to these guys. Right. Yeah, it's going to be a little happening. bit complicated, I think. Yeah. It's time to welcome a special guest from the world of gambling. Let's get to the Gamble On interview. Seventeen years ago, a brash young poker player named Dutch Boyd emerged as one of the stars of ESPN's groundbreaking coverage of the 2003 World Series of Poker main event. And though he's not quite as young anymore, and maybe not as brash either, the three-time WSOP bracelet winner remains among the top poker players in Las Vegas. But of course, these are unusual times with live casino poker impossible and online poker back on the rise in Nevada and the other states that regulate it. So Dutch joins us now on the podcast to talk about all things Vegas and poker. Dutch, welcome to Gamble On. Eric, thanks for that. Uh, thanks for that intro. That's that's great. <laughs> what, is, it, is it correct to say uh, you're, uh, you're, you've diminished slightly in brashness over the last 17 years or no? Um, yeah, I would say that's that's very fair to say. You know, it's it's kind of one of those funny uh, funny things about poker. We kind of talk about it as the uh, Dunning Kruger effect, where you get you get better and better as you go along, and you, you, your your confidence starts getting lower and lower. And I don't, I, I wouldn't say that I really felt like I, I had a good handle of the game until after bracelet number three. Okay, you know? <laughs> but yeah, I would say I, I would say uh, you know, it, it, poker is kind of funny how how uh, confidence and, and success generally don't just go in a line together. Uh, a lot of times they're not really correlated at all. 
Right. <laughs> well, all of that, of course, uh, is is most relevant when it's possible to play poker. And uh, that's not exactly the case uh, right now, at least not live. Um, I, I want to talk about the way the Las Vegas casinos reacted to the pandemic situation in, in early and mid-March when, when some were quick to close and some waited until they were forced to. And you had some casinos keeping their poker rooms going with ideas as ridiculous as playing three-handed. Uh, were you still playing live poker in Vegas when these decisions were being made? And, and what's your take on the way poker rooms handled it overall? Um, okay, so I was not playing live poker when they finally shut the uh, the casinos down for the last year i've actually been uh doing both playing and dealing so oh, i dealt over okay. bellagio and the win hmm. just to try to get uh, an idea for what it was like to actually hold down a job my plan <laughs> was to uh dust off the old law degree uh because before i got into poker i had gone through college got a uh, got a juris doctor so the plan was to dust that off and, and take the bar. And in order to do that, I also kind of felt like the resume looked pretty bad. You know, when I actually looked at the resume and thought, would I hire me? Probably not. Because I'd you know, I'd never, since I've been playing poker, 21, 22 years old, I, I had never even had a job. You know, I, I had a couple of side projects that I try to do on my own where I try to, you know, come up with a... Uh, you know, a website or come up with some business or something. But there, I was never in a situation where I had to clock in or had anybody who could fire me. You know, for 20 years, I had never had anybody that I had to, that I would have to work with that I didn't want to work with. I didn't know if I could even really do it. So I, I, I kind of wanted to know what that was like before trying to, you know, launch off in a career. So the plan was to, you know, deal a little bit get some you know, experience and an actual job experience in my belt because I'm not really qualified to do a lot more mm-hmm. and um, still play, still played, you know, a good number of events through the WSOP, still played a couple of the WPTs. And then the plan was to take the bar in Nevada, which I did. I did that in uh, February. So my last, my last hand playing was in, in December over at the Bellagio WPT event. Okay. Um, and then my last hand dealing was New Year's Day at the win. Ah, okay. And okay. after that, I was going to be taking, uh, you know, the eight weeks off, studying for the bar leading up to the bar. Then, then the plan was to go back to work and wait for the, uh, wait for the results, which come out in May, and, you know, get a legal job maybe play the world series of poker full schedule and start my legal job afterwards or try to do kind of both piecemeal. I also, you know, the win was really, you know, really insisting that I come back to work for them during the summer too. They wanted me to put three or four days in a week. Um, And I was, you know, kind of entertaining my options. And then this pandemic hits and I started, you know, I started really kind of, I started really kind of paying attention to the pandemic really in February. It wasn't really on my radar until uh, I'd say about mid-February, but by the end of February, I was starting to feel pretty, uh, pretty anxious. Mm-hmm. You know, when I went to go take the bar, I was looking around, there were a couple people coughing and the whole time I'm thinking, is this, a, is this, uh, is this how I die? You know, <laughs> is this, is this it? But the plan then was to start working on, on March 1st and I didn't feel comfortable doing it. You know, mm-hmm. I felt like there, this, 
this, we're in the middle of a global pandemic. And even though we're not seeing the numbers, you know, we, we saw how quickly it, it ramped up in China. I started doing the math and seeing people starting, you know, like Mike McDonald and, you know, Doug Polk and some of these guys betting on whether we're going to have a WSOP and betting on, on what the numbers are going to look like. And I was doing my own numbers too, you know, and I was learning all about things like r not and case fatality rate mm. and realizing that this is a big problem. This is a big problem. And the U.S. had a, had a chance to really, uh, to really play a containment strategy with this thing. And they didn't. They, right. they dropped the ball. And so now we're playing a mitigation strategy. I, I, not not to not to cut you off, but just to, as it pertains specifically to the the poker situation in in Vegas, uh, do, it sounds like you're leading towards they were way too slow to act with shutting down casinos in your view. That's exactly where I'm leading to. Okay, you know by by March first, I wasn't feeling comfortable sitting down and playing or sitting down and dealing at you know at, on on the strip. Mm-hmm. So. You know, I, I think that if, if I look at my calendar, I, I think the win actually was one of the first casinos to do it, to actually say we're going to shut down. And I believe that was they finally shut down on the 15th Sunday was when they stopped having games. I think that by that time, we already saw the NBA shut down. I think the NBA shut down March 11th. Right. Um, so this was already, a, you know, people were realizing this was a problem about a week before the U.S. casinos ever took any sort of action. Um, and then it was, I think, the 17th when Steve Sisolik finally gave the order that the casinos are to shut down uh, uh, at midnight on that day. So Tuesday the 17th, midnight, that's when the casinos were ordered to shut down. Before that, I think on Monday, you know, we saw the Orleans still trying to have games and the Venetians still saying we're, having, we're still having our cash games. And they were doing a three-handed games, you know. I mean, I'm just imagining a three-handed two-four limit game at like the Orleans or Palace Station, where you know these these people are dying, you know. But they're like, it wouldn't surprise me. It didn't surprise me at all that the Orleans would be like the last casino to actually shut down. What did surprise me? <laughs> what did kind of surprise me was how quickly the attitude changed from Sunday to Tuesday. So that week before the actual shutdown, I remember Daniel Negrani went on Twitter urging all the, all the uh, casinos and all the tournaments to shut down. Mm-hmm. Meanwhile, the shooting stars was going on and uh, the, 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 the Venetian was hosting a WPT. You know, the win classic was in, in full swing. So tournament poker was going strong. In you know, on the week of uh, March 9th to March 15th, Daniel Negreanu put out the tweet that said, "Hey, everybody needs to shut down." I started tweeting as well, and uh, you know, reaching out to uh, you know some of the, the the tournament directors and the and the card room operators that I actually now have a professional relationship with as part of the teams, and saying, "Look, we we really should be shutting down." Um, and it's, this is when I really started kind of getting disappointed with the whole industry because it, when the wind shut down and, and the WPT shut down their tournaments, the cash games stayed open, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. and 
we need to do our part as an industry to shut down. They didn't. You know, they, they, they waited until the, the very last minute where it was clear that they were going to, you know, even the ones that kind of took the lead, you know, and I give credit to, you know, my own home shop of the wind for being, I think, the first major strip casino to shut down, you know, the, the, the car, the, the actual cash games. Mm-hmm. Uh, I might be wrong on that. I think that John Harden, uh, he, he posted some pictures of the room that he's running where he was kind of showing that, you know, they were shutting down too and saying this is what the right thing looks like. What was funny was was seeing the the attitude change in the space of 48 hours because when when Negreanu posted his thing on Wednesday, he was getting so much backlash. And uh, on Sunday, people were really kind of, you know, attacking the decision to shut down by saying that this is a huge overreaction. By Tuesday, the, the, the vitriol that people started getting for remaining open, you know, started, you know, it really started shifting, you know. But right. for, for me, I, I, I was just really disappointed with the whole industry in, in, at large just because I felt like it was just so clearly putting profits over people. Yeah, Dutch, I want to get to the World Series of Poker that you briefly mentioned. Um, starting in late May, I think, and it'll go, you know, over a month. Um, I'm wondering, you know, from a couple thousand miles away from me, uh, what's your, your sense of whether that can go on? And uh, I guess one thing, um, is it possible to have a World Series of Poker online? I mean, is it really the same event at all? There's plenty of online tournaments obviously, but, you know, the World Series of Poker, we, we know what we think of and all the crowds and the tables and the, the spectators and everything else. So, uh, A, is it going to happen the way it usually does? And B, is it possible for them to consider just having it online this year? These are good questions. And, and I mean, your guess is going to be good as, as good as mine on this, uh, on this one. But my sense of it is that there is just no way that we're going to have a World Series of Poker this year. Um, I could see it being delayed, but all this talk about flattening the curve. I think one thing that people don't you know, quite get is that it's a mitigation strategy, not a containment strategy. And the difference is that the actual number of infected in that whole curve isn't really going to change that much. Flattening the curve just kind of keeps it steady so that we don't overload our hospitals. We're still talking about a big percentage of the American population getting this even when we stay at home and, you know, practice social distancing. And all we're trying to do right now is keep it from uh, filling our hospital beds and taking our ventilators. So even if we are able to get away from, you know, the strict stay-at-home orders that we have, where even if it would be possible for, you know, people to go and, and, you know, return to casinos I don't think that we're going to see the the, the same kind of. I, I, mean, I, I would expect that even when casinos do open, it's going to be kind of a, you know, a, a kind of a tempered approach where we're still going to have these, you know, the, these these measures where customers have to stay six feet away from each other, and where a lot of a lot of you know countries are going to be you know dealing with the same thing by closing down their airports. We're going to see. We're probably. I would expect that we still don't have international flights, you know, coming into the U.S. by uh, by May. So I'm not sure that uh, you know by the end of May. So I, I don't. I just don't see how we would really have a World Series of Poker uh, in person. And then, you know, when when if they try to say, okay, well, we'll try to do something and just have an online version. I mean, we're still talking about only people in, you know, in 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 New Jersey and. 
and and Vegas and and Delaware. Does I think maybe Pennsylvania jumped on too with WSP.com? Maybe. No, nah, it's not even part of that. So yeah. So it's you got three great. states that are able to do it. You know, I, it's just going to be if they try to if they try to do I, I, the lawyer in me says it's just not going to happen. I just don't see us having the WSOP. If they were trying to do it with an online only version, it would feel so empty to me. Winning an online poker tournament does not give you the same feeling as winning a live tournament. It's empty. It, it, and you're playing against screen names. There's no, there, it doesn't have add that social element. It does, it, it's like one-dimensional. It's such a one-dimensional thing that, you know, I, I could see them trying just to, just to have some sort of like 2020 WSOP, but I think it would just end up being a disaster. I think the numbers would be super low. It would basically be like an asterisk next to every single champion and and you're you're just looking at such low numbers without having the great big influx of of russians and germans and 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 french and you know brazilians coming down every year and and staying on the strip that you know it it would it it just would be kind of meaningless and i think it would be bad for the brand well as as far as online poker not within the wsop championship brand but just general online poker um you know what what we're seeing in in pennsylvania and new jersey is that online poker play is way up uh, no surprise there given the stay-at-home orders um i'm curious ha- have you been playing much online poker at all these last few weeks and and if so are you finding that the games are bigger softer anything like that i mean i'm hearing great things about it i'm hearing it's like 2006 all over again Okay. So right now I'm not in Vegas. Uh, ah, on okay. Tuesday, when they shut down the casino, I decided to drive out, and I was like, yeah, I, I decided to get out of Vegas because I wasn't, I wasn't sure what was going to happen, and I didn't like the idea of being stuck in the desert where they import 92% of their food, and they have some of the lowest per capita numbers of doctors in any state. I think Nevada ranks 48th. Right now, I'm expecting. Uh, yeah, I've, I've been with my, uh, uh, my my. It still feels weird to just say girlfriend because we've been together for 12 years. I mean, you've met her, Michelle. Right. Um, you know, so we've outlasted both of my mom's marriages. So, but we haven't officially been married. Right now, we're expecting our first baby in July. Oh. And so it's kind of a weird. Uh, you know, it's kind of, yeah. It's a kind of weird time, time for it, but know? yeah. <laughs> I, and I kind of kept on having this nightmare of of every single hospital in in Vegas being you know filled to capacity. And so as soon as Sisolak came out ordering the the casinos to shut down, I decided I wanted to get out of uh, Vegas and and kind of wait it out in another place. So we went to Missouri, where where I'm from and where my family's from, and where it's a little closer to agriculture, a little higher uh, doctors per capita. This is how I am right now is, uh, you know, this paranoid, you know, because I was, I was panicky. I was feeling the kind of anxiety and panic that I've never experienced, you know? And so I, I, I think I must be living in some alternate world because the, the stock market is up. Everyone seems to be just very calm about it all. Everyone, you know, all my, you know, my best friends in poker are just talking about how great the online, you know, poker games are going. While I'm sitting back thinking poker is literally dying in front of us because who is going to, when unemployment is 30%, feel good about jumping on a plane and going off to Vegas 
and putting a thousand fifteen hundred dollars into you know a hotel room and ten thousand or fifteen thousand into cash games and tournaments i just don't see it happening you know vegas is so dependent on tourist money and poker is so dependent on a good economy and yet maybe it, it it plays out completely different you know maybe after all this is said and done we end up with the same kind of you know with a continued stimulus package where everybody's getting 1200 a month that they get to blow on poker you know it could be that this this could be like the beginning of of uh, uh, you know a golden age of poker that would make 2006 look tame in comparison right but uh, let me just end on a on a on a positive note and say for all the madness out there and all of the stuff that is uh, scaring us, I'm happy to hear that you guys are expanding the family. And that's a, that's a nice, uh, even if the timing is odd, that's a nice positive note to, to end on. I would leave just with you and John and, you know, and my, and every other poker player out there is that one of the most relevant quotes I've ever you know, heard was Voltaire saying that it's very hard to get somebody to understand something when their livelihood depends on them not understanding. it. Hmm. And I think that in poker, on the media side, on the player side, on the operation side, that's where we are. Well, it's always yeah. good to talk to you, Dutch, and uh, best wishes for, for with the new baby and just uh, with getting through this difficult time. Thanks, Eric. Thanks, John. All right. Our thanks again to uh, to Dutch there. Uh, once again, there are no updates to our bankroll. Uh, still no team for Cam Newton uh, and uh, nothing worth betting on uh, this week, although that may change next week with the NFL draft closing in. Uh, but for now, no bankroll segment. And so that will do it for this episode of Gamble On. Thanks to everybody out there for listening. Thanks once again to our guest, Dutch Boyd. You can find me on Twitter at Eric Raskin and John at Bergen Brennan and follow US Bets at US underscore bets. Go to US bets.com for all the latest news and analysis from the world of gambling and subscribe to this podcast on soundcloud apple podcasts or spotify and with that john please take us out uh, eric subscribers already know that i'm based in north jersey so i'm kind of sensitive to this uh, covid19 issue um here's my pet peeve about how americans are really gambling with their health in short shut your pie holes when you're outside of your residence please you know, first off, most people can breathe through your nose just fine. Uh, and if you can't, you might be in a group of people who need to self-quarantine even more urgently anyway. You know, I get that you still want to be friendly. Believe it or not, so does this New Jerseyan. But, you know, when I t- take a walk in these suburbs, I wear a baseball cap. The better to nod and touch the brim of my hat with a smile, that's plenty of goodwill. If you're really playing your cards right, I might even give you a wink, okay? <laughs> now, when I encounter a package delivery person, a grocery store worker, a nurse, a doctor, you know, a police officer, EMT, anyone else on the front lines, you know, I lift the cap in their direction as a salute and it's appreciated believe me and it's safer so for all those well-meaning people i encounter it's in my condo building or anywhere else and if this verbose fellow can manage for the love of god to stop talking outside of my home and for everyone else it should be a piece of cake so now the postscript is that just hours after i thought this through on wednesday governor murphy here in new jersey issued a new direction that anyone entering a grocery store without a covering over their mouth could be escorted out and that works for me, too. Yep. Um, your state probably hasn't gotten there yet out there. So live a step ahead of the law and mums the word. And with that, until next time, gamble on. But still, don't talk to me in person. Not yet. Oh,